The following episode covers sensitive topics such as suicide and human trafficking. Viewer discretion is advised. Alexander Slawley, nicknamed Gog by both friends and family, was a boisterous and sports-loving young man from London, England. His protective nature and accounting aspirations were cut short by an unsolved disappearance in the summer of 2008, leaving all who knew him across the district of Holloway and the entirety of the United Kingdom at large, grasping for answers in a sea of mysteries that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built upon observable evidence and situational analysis, this is an examination of Alex Slawley vanishing in Islington, London, England, and the potential pattern of disturbing disappearances of teenage boys across North London in the late 2000s. This is Cold Case Detective. Alexander Slawley was born on August 14th, 1991, to parents Christopher Slawley and Nerissa Tivy in the district of Holloway in London, England. Christopher's employment at the time was unknown, but Nerissa worked full-time hours as a bookkeeper in town and helped keep the family healthy and afloat. Over the next several years, Nerissa would give birth to three more children, all girls to add to an already bustling household. Their names were Latina, Tazra and Tasha, all three forming close bonds with their older brother, Alex. From an early age, Alex made it a priority to watch out for his younger sisters and make sure trouble never followed them home. He was sure to ask about their experiences at school and protect them from potential bullies or adversaries. It was a microcosm of Alex's heartfelt love for his family, something he carried proudly as he entered adolescence. Around the same time, Christopher Slawley and Nerissa separated. Like many divorced families, Nerissa was able to maintain custody of her four children, while Christopher received visitation privileges and the kids kept in contact with their biological father. Never allowing his parents' divorce to interrupt his future, Alex maintained strong marks in all of his classes, but became especially fond of mathematics even at a young age. His teachers were constantly impressed by his inclination to complete assignments without fail, driven to absorb knowledge, and he became the brightest arithmetic student in his class. Despite focusing on maths and science, however, Alex eventually enrolled at the Islington Arts and Media School, a secondary school functioning as a specialist media arts college. His friends loved to call him Gog, a quickly accepted nickname inspired by Alex's iconic glasses and bookworm mentality. As Alex ventured through secondary school and climbed towards adulthood, his love for maths and pristine calculation skills drove him towards being an accountant. Nerissa, his mother, heavily supported the direction he was heading, being a bookkeeper herself. To start on his path towards accounting, Alex enrolled at City and Islington College to engage with specific coursework. Overall, Alex was sorting out his life with the approval of family and friends, and was passionate about making his dreams a reality. When Alex wasn't studying or attending class, he could be found watching any and all sporting events. He was especially fond of football, 
a love that may have been born during his time at the Arts and Media School in Islington due to their partnership with Arsenal FC. Alex also loved food and fine cuisine. He was known to both friends and family for his fixation on Caribbean food. His favorite dishes ranged from fried plantains and dumplings to specialty porridges, sometimes prepared by Nerissa herself. Without a doubt, one of Alex's most prominent features by the time he turned 16 was his dedication to his personal hygiene and appearance. All of his sisters and his mother can attest to his love of stylish fashion and well-kept image. He was never one to be seen as scruffy and wore his Sunday best whenever fitting. Everything in Alex's life was truly happening for the best. He was excelling at school, on a path toward achieving his goals, and comfortable with himself above all else. Despite this good fortune, however, the misfortune was waiting right around the corner, when all of his plans were put to a halt by a startling and sudden disappearance in the midday hours of August 2008. One of the trickiest aspects to Alex Slawley's case is the complete lack of timeline due to insufficient information being made public on behalf of the investigation, and multiple dates being used when discussing Alex's exact disappearance. The following timeline is our best construction based on the available data. Sometime in early 2008, Alex Slawley drives a vehicle that does not belong to him somewhere in North London. During the same drive, Alex is pulled over by Metropolitan Police and given a citation for operating a vehicle under age. At the end of the traffic stop, Alex is told he will be due in court within the year. However, since this information has been made public, it is disputed whether or not the traffic violation was why Alex is due in court. Regardless, a court appointment is made for Alex in the spring or summer months of 2008. Fast forward to Friday, August 1st of that same year. There are reports that Alex's last known activities were actually on July 10th and 11th. However, we will be abiding by the August timeline more generally accepted as the correct time frame. Fast forward to Friday, August 1st, 2008. It should be noted here that there are reports that Alex's last known activities were actually on July 10th and 11th. However, we will be abiding by the August timeline as it is more generally accepted as the correct time frame. At some point during that day, Alex departs his home in the Thane Villas suburb of the district of Islington, a block away from the busy intersection of Holloway and Seven Sisters Road. He says goodbye to his mother and sisters, but not as if it's the last time. As he walks out of the house, Alex leaves most of his possessions behind, including extra cash and his passport. The only item of note he grabs is his mobile phone. The day of August 1st progresses and Alex treks across North London from Islington to Edmonton to visit a friend and hang out for the evening. The nighttime hours of August 1st approaches and Alex remains at a friend's house away from home. At a certain point that evening, Alex decides to spend the night despite having no change of clothing on him and will return to Islington the following day. The following morning, Saturday, August 2nd, 2008, Alex wakes up still at his friend's house in Edmonton. He informs his still-anonymous friend that he's taking off for Islington later that day to make it home in time for his birthday celebrations, as his birthday is only two days away. After a few hours, just around noon, Alex leaves his friend's residence and begins his trek home under the beating midday sun. This is the last confirmed sighting of Alexander Slawley. When Alex doesn't return home to Thane Villas later that night, his mother, Nerissa, begins to worry. 
She contacts Alex's friend, who says he hasn't seen Alex since he left earlier that day, and figured Alex must have made it home by then. Within the next 24 hours, Nerissa takes the issue to the Metropolitan Police and files a missing persons report. During their initial report, authorities ask Nerissa about Alex's likelihood to run away. Nerissa tells them she never suspected actions like that from her son. She says Alex is a well-mannered and passionate boy and had no reason to leave. Nerissa also includes in her interview that she has no suspicion of Alex being involved with gangs or drugs or anything nefarious, and that his only negative behavior was the occasional teenage tantrum, as she worded it. The police dispatch officers to look for Alex in the following days of early August. They interview those closest to the now 17-year-old accounting student and comb through the surrounding suburbs of North London, but find nothing of note. It doesn't take long for the entire investigation to go cold at the end of 2008, without any leads or suspects to announce, at least to the insight of the public. Alex's case stays quiet until September of 2009, over a year since he was reported missing. Police get wind of a potential sighting by an anonymous witness near Ilford, a small town in East London. They follow up with the reports, but never confirm if the sighting is legitimate, or if it happened at all. A month later, in October of 2009, a charity in the UK called Missing People team up with the supermarket's chain Iceland to bring awareness to Alex's case. They create a small missing persons poster with Alex's photo and information on it and print it on over 13.5 million milk cartons. It is one of the first circumstances of milk cartons featuring a victim of a disappearance in the UK, greatly inspired by the same practice that took fire in the United States in the mid-1980s. Nearly six years later, in July of 2015, during an interview regarding the case of her missing son, Nerissa shows shock when she learns there were reportedly multiple sightings of Alex in the Greater London area since the 1st in September of 2009. Nerissa says that the police have been mostly uncommunicative with her, and she had only met with them a handful of times since filing a report in August of 2008. Another couple of years pass by without any new information surfacing until September of 2017, when recently retired head of the Metropolitan Police's Central Images Unit, Mick Neville, publicly spouts a theory about a potential connection between the case of Alex Slawley and the much more discussed case of Andrew Gosden. The comments reignite a brief interest in Alex's case, but they don't bring forth any new leads. The most recent development in the investigation comes in September of 2019, two full years after Neville's comments. This time, Metropolitan Police reveal an electronic facial identification technique, also called an EFIT simulation of Alex's face, should he still be alive in the present day. The image displays Alex at 28 years of age, this time with a full yet neatly trimmed beard in accordance with his grooming habits. It also depicts Alex without his iconic glasses, instead featuring his vibrant blue eyes he had become synonymous with. It was around this same time that the new detective constable of Metropolitan Police's missing persons unit, Tom Boom, released a statement saying Alex's bank account, insurance account, and passport had all remained inactive in the 11 years since his disappearance, and there were still no active leads in Alex's case, and that it had grown immensely cold, with nary a clue or suspect to follow up with. The case remains the same as of 2022.
Like so many of the cases we report here at Cold Case Detective, Alexander Slawley's investigation is without many tips or pieces of evidence to run with, as previously stated by multiple members of law enforcement. So while we don't have any physical clues left behind by Alex, or an array of social media posts of digital footprints, or CCTV footage depicting the 16-year-old, there is still a chance that the latter of these materials exist in one form or another. We'd like to take a moment and ask the viewing public for a favour. If you or anyone you know were around the Greater London area, specifically in North London between the towns of Edmonton and Islington, or used King's Cross to travel through England on or in the following days of July 11th or August 2nd, 2008, check every record you have in the off chance you might have a piece of vital information that could lead to the whereabouts of Alex Slawley. We know this is a shot in the dark, but all it takes is one photograph or forgotten film footage stored on a hard drive long since packed away to break a case wide open. Unfortunately, most businesses and government buildings don't retain CCTV catalogues dating back more than a few days, let alone a decade, due to a lack of storage. So reaching out to places in the area that may have had security cameras pointing along the North London streets is a fruitless endeavour. It should never come down to civilians to solve cases, or carry the heavy lifting of forgotten victims years and years down the line. But with how little information we have as a public due to the constraints of official investigators, this is the best shots we all have to give. If you do happen to find anything of importance in your own media files by some miraculous chance, call or text the number 116000 or call Crime Stoppers UK at 0800 one. One call could change the lives of many, and at the very least, one life in particular. Let us now explore the most prominent theories surrounding Alex's case. As we've said multiple times, the lack of information on Alex's case makes drawing up detailed theories next to impossible, as even conjecture is difficult when there simply aren't enough details available in a missing persons case. That said, we will do our best to build up the most plausible possibilities to where Alex ended up and what his fate may be in 2022 and beyond. The first and most sensical theory is that Alex ran away from home whether it was to start a new life or simply to get away from the one he was currently living. This theory is easy to argue against, with most of the evidence we do have suggesting Alex had no plans to leave the Thane Villas for good. For instance, Alex left all of his belongings back in his bedroom in Islington. He didn't even bring a change of clothes with him to his friend's house, most likely a sign that his plan wasn't even to spend the night in Edmonton in the first place. Of course, Alex was also a teenage boy, and he simply could have forgotten to pack clothes or felt he didn't need them. Many of us have slept in the clothes we wore at unexpected sleepovers with friends in our teenage years, so it's most likely just a coincidence. People also point to the fact that Alex didn't bring any money with him, nor were his insurance or bank accounts touched after August 2nd, 2008. Again, just because someone runs away doesn't mean they bring every penny they possess along with them. A lot of folks who leave without notice do so without a plan, let alone money. In addition, if someone wanted to run away, they wouldn't want to leave a paper or digital trail in the first place. 
People often point to an unused cell phone or untapped bank account as proof someone didn't go missing of their own accord. But wouldn't that be intentional if someone didn't want to be found? It could fit either argument, but is circumstantial at the very most. The one clue, or in this case lack thereof, that goes against the runaway theory is the absolute lack of CCTV video or security camera capturing Alex in the area he was last seen. We outlined in the previous section that by the time the police wanted to use these types of resources, the footage was probably no longer in existence. However, there are credible reports the police at least checked the security tapes they did have access to and couldn't pull a single frame that may have depicted Alex slowly. In the event that the amount of footage Metropolitan Detectives had access to was enough to make a sound judgment, it would be incredibly difficult for Alex to evade every single CCTV or hapless camera that he may have come across. Surely someone somewhere would have snapped a shot of Alex evading notice and stealing away via train or bus. While it's not a certainty that Alex couldn't avoid any and all detection, it just simply isn't likely given his youth and the local circumstances. Another theory involved in the investigation is the idea that Alex's friend has something to do with his disappearance, or at least knows exactly where Alex went in the hours leading up to noon on that fateful Saturday in 2008. To this day, the name and identity of the friend in question has not been released, this could be for two reasons. The first is that law enforcement is withholding key pieces of evidence in the investigation to deter outside influences interrupting an angle they're taken. The second is that the friend has requested privacy and has already been cleared of any suspicion in the eyes of authorities. Metropolitan police have said on numerous occasions they have no suspects or leads, so unless they are again lying to protect the investigation, the first reason doesn't make sense. It's more likely the friend was telling the truth, and after an interview or two, was no longer a vital part to the case, and has since remained anonymous for the protection of himself and his family. However, because we don't have a clear reasoning, it does leave room to wonder how much that friend actually knows. If anything, they would have incredible insight into Alex's behavior in the 24 hours leading up to the disappearance. He would know better than anyone if Alex was disturbed or troubled, or at least wasn't acting himself. Then we can take it a step further and wonder if something happened between Alex and his friend the night he slept over. Maybe the two had an argument or got into trouble as a pair and only one of them was able to escape. Fearful of retaliation, the friend then remained silent, leaving Alex's fate a mystery. While this theory cannot be ruled out, we can assume that had anything intense happened to the boys during the 24 hours leading up to Alex's disappearance, this friend's parents or guardians would know something and would have been interviewed and or cleared by law enforcement. Even if the parents were ignorant to mischief put up by the two boys, if there was a violent incident around Edmonton that night or early in the morning, someone else most likely would have reported something and police would have followed up on it. Of course, ruling out this theory puts a lot of faith into the authorities. While there are plenty of detectives and petty officers who solve their assigned disappearances and murders, there was a bit of a history of investigators leaving out critical information in meetings with Alex's own mother. They failed to tell her of potential eyewitness sightings, and even if they had been quickly debunked in real time, the grieving mother of a missing child should be privy to that information. It makes the detectives handling the case look quite peculiar. 
Other people may discount the theory that Alex's friend was somehow involved due to Nerissa's explanation that Alex was a good student, hung out with well-mannered friends, and wasn't a part of the gang or drug scene. While it may be more pleasant to think of Alex as his mother saw him, the fact of the matter is many teenagers carry themselves one way in front of their parents, and another in front of their friends. This is not to insinuate Alex led a troubled second life, or was a badly behaved teenager when adults weren't looking, but it is possible he could have found himself in a negative situation with his friends, at the complete ignorance of the people who cared for him. Of course, if this is the case, it is vital that those who knew Alex on a personal level beyond his immediate family come forward with information. We are optimistic that if Alex was truly into something he shouldn't have been, a friend would have come forward, but it is no guarantee. Plus, Alex might have involved himself with something not even his best friends knew, and therefore not even theories that his friend was somewhat responsible does us any good to conjecture about. The most believable theory in the case of Alex Slawley is that somewhere on his journey from Edmonton, he was kidnapped and taken against his will by someone or a group of perpetrators unbeknownst to us. Who exactly could have done such a thing is impossible to say at the moment, as anyone who was in North London on August 2nd, 2008 could be considered a suspect. However, it's a comment made by one of the investigating detectives back in September of 2017 that leads to a very curious scenario. Just under four years ago, the retired head of Central Images Unit Mick Neville suggested Alex Slawley's disappearance may be connected to a similar case in nature, that of 14-year-old Andrew Gosden, who went missing in central London on September 14th, 2007, less than one year before Alex Wood himself. Andrew was an introverted yet mature young boy from the suburb of Balby in Doncaster, South Yorkshire. He spent much of his life excelling at school, much like Alex. He loved Cub Scouts and taking mathematics. Andrew was even involved with gifted programs throughout school, and won awards for his arithmetic abilities. In the days and weeks leading up to his disappearance, Andrew didn't stray too far from his usual routine. However, he did skip taking the bus home from school a couple of days, instead choosing to make the four-mile trek on foot. On the day he actually vanished, Andrew woke up for school later than usual and appeared irritable, according to his mother. Instead of going to his normal bus stop, he took a diversion to a nearby ATM, withdrew 200 pounds, and returned home where he would be alone. Back at his house, Andrew changed into casual clothing, including a t-shirt representing the band Slipknot, and packed a bag full of other graphic t-shirts for his favorite bands, his wallet, keys, and a video game console. He did leave behind warm outerwear, his console charger, and an additional 100 pounds in cash he had acquired over the last year, signaling that he didn't plan to be out for an extended period of time. CCTV then captured Andrew walking to the railway station at Doncaster and purchasing a one-way ticket to London, denying the option to buy a round-trip fare. At 9.35am, Andrew boarded the train to King's Cross Station in London. The trip took about two hours, and he spent most of the time playing video games and keeping to himself. At 11.25am, CCTV captured Andrew one final time leaving King's Cross Station through the main entrance doors, and that would be the final confirmed sighting of Andrew Golston. 
It is thought by investigators that Andrew was headed to London to watch a gig or two, explaining his wardrobe change, the money withdrawal, and the t-shirts in his possession. His parents have said that he knew a few people in London, including his grandmother, and probably intended to stay with one of them during his excursion, explaining the one-way ticket. But unfortunately, he ran into trouble before he can make that a reality. While Andrew and Alex have no connections prior to their disappearance, it is not out of the question they could have met comparative fates. Andrew was 14 and stood around 5 foot 3 inches when he disappears. Alex was 16, standing around 5 foot 5. Both boys wore glasses, were taking accounting classes, and were known to be maths experts. They were both slightly on the introverted side, but neither one displayed signs or symptoms they were running away for good, much less having a reason to do so in the first place. The boys' cases also both involve shoddy work by the respective investigators. We know the shortcomings of the Alex Slawley case, but the Gosden family experienced similar results. The authorities spent a lot of their time early on sleuthing around the Gosden's house and investigating the family, rather than trying to track down CCTV footage. They never even viewed the CCTV tapes in a few places adjacent to King's Cross in the days after Andrew was reported missing possibly losing out on new sightings, or even tracking where he ended up after deboarding the train. Sadly, the similarities stop there. Many people are quick to point out that the boys are of a different race, feature different eye and hair colors, and were interested in different things. They also mention Alex's location compared to Andrew's. Alex's route home from Edmonton to Islington never brings him far south enough to reach King's Cross. Had he been around King's Cross, he would have passed by the Thane Villas and continued towards central London. There is no reason to believe Alex took such a journey. However, again, it cannot be completely ruled out. There is one glimmer of hope police have in Andrew Gosden's case, however, and it came in December of 2021, when two men aged 38 and 45 were arrested in South Yorkshire by detectives actively working on Andrew's investigation on suspicion of kidnapping and human trafficking, along with possession of child pornography. The South Yorkshire Police have since said the digital forensics of the men's computers and other assets could take six months to a year to complete, so it may be a while before there is any confirmation they actually have some connection to Andrew's case. If they do, and they find that Andrew was an unfortunate victim of human trafficking, we hope that they use this lead to dive deeper into the possibility it happened to Alex, too. If Mick Neville was right when he postured that the two teenage boys were kidnapped by the same serial kidnapper, then this could be the big break in the case that brings light to both Andrew and Alex's fate. And if they aren't connected, then at least the avenue was explored. Because especially in Alex's case, he simply hasn't garnered the attention others have received, despite presenting a situation just as tragic and perplexing as all the rest. The case of Alexander Slawley is as confusing as any case we've ever come across. Most of that is due to the complete lack of viable information available to the public, for better or for worse. The official investigators can say it's to protect their work and the minimal leads they've collected, but as far as we know, there are no true leads and what we have to work with as a public is so much less than what other cases provide us. Thus, with the little facts we do have, we feel the most plausible scenario is that Alex was taken against his will by someone or even a group targeting young teenage boys 
who were by themselves and small enough to not put up a fight. That being said, we believe the only way Alex was kidnapped was if he was forced. He was an incredibly gifted mind and an analytical thinker. He likely would have been wise enough to avoid the tricks of a manipulative perpetrator, or at least avoid situations that would have put him into harm's way. It is not out of the realm of possibility Alex was enticed into a car or van by someone offering him a ride home, but it would go against the grain of Alex's past actions and protective, thoughtful demeanor. Was Alex taken by the same people who potentially took Andrew Godston? Probably not. Were there more victims like Alex and Andrew who met a similar fate, who haven't yet entered the discussion? Most likely. Is there someone out there who knows more than they're letting on? Absolutely. That is not to wholly discredit the idea that Alex wandered off on his own, and either departed Islington to form a new life, or found a secluded place to end the one he was living. There are no major signs that point to this conclusion, but sometimes there doesn't have to be. Not everyone who takes their own life makes it known beforehand. Regardless, it's our mission to bring Alex's story into the light and increase whatever chances remain of bringing him home. If anything, may his fate be learned and closure brought to his mother and sisters, who to this day still pray he returns and their family can be reunited once more. Sadly, Alex's father Christopher passed away in 2014, never knowing his son's fate. Alex was one of the brightest students of his class, a promising accountant in training who was sure to leave a positive impact on the world in addition to all of the other positive impacts he already made. He was a guide and a source of wisdom for his sisters, a shoulder to cry on when there was no one else around. He was lively in the company of friends and brought an unwavering passion when it came to the things he loved. Alex slowly may be without a current location, but he wasn't without an energetic personality an undying compassion for others, and a soul destined to do wonderful things. It is up to us to make sure those wonderful things don't disappear into the dark forever, and one day are brought back into the focus so that everyone may see Alex slowly alive and well once again. No longer a North London mystery, but perhaps a North London miracle. This is Cold Case Detective.